Welcome to The Wrap, a Warren Averett podcast for business leaders designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it so you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day. Time is tight. That's why our advisors have wrapped up today's most timely topics into a podcast with actionable advice. Now, let's get down to business. Hey, Kim. Hey, Paul. How are you today? I'm good. Nice to see you again. Absolutely. Again, these are getting more fun as we go about. And in keeping with the November podcasts today, I am thankful for mentors. I know that's somebody that's helped you get through your career. And if you asked me to put together a list of the top 10 people that helped me with my career, it's going to be Carol's going to be in there somewhere. And we're happy to have Carol Phillips uh, on the show with us today. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Hey, Kim. Hey, Carol. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming on. So Carol's in the Birmingham office with me and um, a partner in the audit department, but does a lot of things around nonprofits, governmentals, um, some some consulting work as it comes in. And um, so today we are answering questions uh, surrounding the CARES Act provider relief funds. So we're looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. So Carol, maybe you can just help us get started and give us some backstory on the CARES Act and what the provider relief funds are. Sure. Thanks, Kim. Um, so when, when the CARES Act came out, it was intended to provide relief to Americans um, related to the COVID-19 pandemic. There were different buckets of funds that were um, put out by the federal government. A couple that are well known and discussed often are the PPP loans. And of course, there were individual stimulus checks sent to folks. But another large bucket of funds that came out are in the provider relief fund. The Department of Health and Human Services basically is, is sending out 175 billion, yes, billion with a B, to help hospitals and healthcare providers who are on the front lines of providing help for the coronavirus response. So there are different phases of these funds, different buckets of money, if you will. And there are general distributions that have gone out based on how much a provider billed, say, to Medicare in the prior year versus, you know, what they might have billed in the current year. And then there are targeted distributions that are targeted toward different types of providers, say, uh, providers who are focused on rural areas, providers who are focused on uninsured patients, skilled nursing homes, those kinds of providers. Are there other types of organizations that have received this, or, or is that really covered by uh, the health and human service providers? Well, it's, it's primarily health care providers, Paul, but that would include hospitals. It would include physician practices. It would include, in some cases, pharmacy-type organizations, skilled nursing homes. Again, providers that target some of those populations I discussed, um, tribal providers, uninsured, those, those kinds of folks. So basically, these are health care provider funds. So Carol, I know that there are some reporting requirements related to these provider relief funds, but I've also heard there might be an audit requirement. So can you explain that a little bit and help clarify that? Yes, the dreaded audit requirements. So there are reporting requirements related to these funds for all recipients who got more than $10,000. Those reporting requirements kick in in January of 2021, and then the final reporting requirements are um, due by July 31, 2021. So those reporting requirements will be what 
basically all of the recipients do, and they will do those in-house. And there are instructions on the HHS website related to those reporting requirements. In addition, what a lot of people may not know is that the reporting entities that expend more than $750,000 of these funds in 2020, and, and let me clarify that that $750,000 number is all the provider relief funds, plus if they happen to have any other federal funds that come in the door from other sources outside of the provider relief funds. They have to look at it in totality. So if they expend over $750,000, then they are subject to the single audit requirements. Now, I do want to point out another nuance here is that the requirement is basically $750,000 of expenditures in a fiscal year. So there is the potential that if somebody received over a million and a half, that if they expended over 750 in one of their fiscal years and then another 750 in a second fiscal year, that they could hit the requirements for two fiscal years in a row, even if they've never had to have one of these kinds of audits before. Now, clearly, a lot of hospitals already have to have one of these audits every year because of other types of federal funds that they get and they hit that $750,000 mark. But there are lots and lots of providers out there who have never had to have this done before. And so this is their first taste of the single audit world. Want to receive a monthly newsletter with RAP topics? Head on over to warrenaverett.com forward slash the RAP and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. You mentioned single audits, Carol, and uh, when I think of that, I think of, you know, you're not not for profits, you're, you're governmentals. But is there is there going to be an audit difference if I'm a for profit entity? Because I'm sure there's a good number of for profit entities that did receive that amount of money and have those expenses. So is there a difference between the two? Yes, there is. Um, so the single audit guidance that's out there is very specific and it applies to not for profits only. And so, like I said, a number of hospitals and, and other types of organizations, you know, colleges and universities, foundations, those types of organizations, uh, a lot of them have had to have single audits in the past. And so this is maybe not anything new for them. But there are a lot of hospitals who have never had to have a single audit before. And then there are the for-profits, which in, in the list of folks who have gotten these funds, the primary group of, of organizations that will fit in that bucket will be your physician practice groups. And those are, you know, have, I think have to be large physician practice groups to have gotten enough money to meet the $750,000 requirement. But we, we certainly know of, of a number of our clients who, who have met this, this requirement. And um, so when I use the term single audit, what that means is that it encompasses an audit of the financial statements for the organization and an audit of these grant funds, hence the term single. It's one audit that covers both. The requirement for a for-profit is not really a single audit. It is something akin to a single audit. There is a companion requirement in the federal regulations that applies to for-profits. And basically, it's a little more targeted. For-profits do not have to have an audit of their financial statements 
what happens is they will have what I'm going to call a program-specific audit where it's very targeted and the audit just focuses on the handling of the federal grant money. And this type of an audit is a little bit different from a financial statement audit. It's more compliance-oriented. So it focuses, I mean, clearly you, you check the numbers, but it also really focuses on what they did with the money and how they handled the money, i.e., did they dot their I's and they cross their T's when they were taking care of the money and do with it what the federal government set out for them to do with it. So it is more compliance-oriented. But for the for-profit world, they don't have to have an audit of their financial statements but they will have to have an audit of these funds and how they handle them. And when are those audits due, Carol? They're due nine months after the fiscal year end. Now, the guidelines that have been put out have changed a couple of times since they've come out. And there have been some extensions given on single audits prior to the provider relief funds being included in the single audit requirement. So there's the potential that there will be some extensions that come in the future, but, but right now there, there are not any new extensions that have been granted for this. So it's a nine-month filing requirement. So Carol, I'm sure that education is going to be important for these for-profits and, and these um, entities that never had to have one of these uh, single or compliance type audits. Uh, how do you prepare for this type of audit that you've never had to go through before? Well, that, that is the million dollar question, Paul. Um, what I would say is document, document, document. Um, keep good records of how you spent the money. Keep looking at the HHS website, the CDC website. I, I would look at those at least a couple of times a week because again, the guidelines have been changing over the summer, just like they changed for the PPP loans and, and everything else. There's there was a, a big push, I think, to get the money out there quickly. And, and then, uh, oh, goodness, we need to, to set some rules around this money. And, and then some of the rules they've changed. The latest guidance, I think, came out toward the end of October. And so I would just say, keep looking at those websites for updated guidance. And then go ahead and call your Warren Averitt advisor to discuss, you know, one, whether these rules apply to you, and then what you can go ahead and do ahead of time to make sure that you have a smooth audit. So here on The Wrap, we always ask our guests to wrap it up in 60 seconds or less. And so, Carol, what would you like to leave our listeners with as it pertains to answering questions around the CARES Act provided relief funds? I would just say this, Kim. This conversation is meant to raise awareness for organizations that have received these types of funds. You might have an audit requirement um, that you've never had before. So it's a red flag. Don't wait to reach out with your questions to your Warren Averitt advisor. Well, Carol, thank you very much for um, spending, spending your day with us. Uh, again, always good to connect and, and appreciate this, this useful information for our clients. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Carol. You're most welcome. And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform. To check out more episodes, subscribe to our podcast series, or make a suggestion for other topics to cover, visit us at warrenaverett.com forward slash the wrap.